From Accelerate, this is Restore Your Power to Succeed, a podcast to help restoration professionals succeed both personally and in business. I'm Rachel Stewart. I spent 12 years in the industry growing a restoration company from $1.5 million to over $20 million in annual revenue before founding Accelerate, an industry job management system to help contractors be successful by addressing the technology gaps that I faced every day. This podcast is dedicated to teaching everything I and other top performers in the industry have learned. From leadership and personal growth to industry-specific pain points, this podcast is for everyone. So let's get started as we restore your power to succeed. Welcome to episode number seven of Restore Your Power to Succeed and part two of my interview with Jason Jarvis of Slate Restoration. If you missed last week's episode, then you really should push pause and go listen to that entire episode. It really is just that good. Not only will you learn so much that will improve your interviewing skills, but it's just a lot of fun. In it, Jason shared his experience getting interviewed by us when we almost bought his company. The, the conversation pivoted as I got bigger towards, well, what would happen if we, if Titan acquired Slate and what would the future look like? And, and um, as it went from sort of casual conversation to more serious conversation, we, we set up an official meeting and that's how I, I came to be in, uh, in your office to be interviewed. And what was interesting is we get into it and my first major recollection is like, I'm talking about my childhood. I'm talking about like third grade. And in my world, I try to, to hit them with something they haven't heard before or with something they don't expect. And if you, if you hit someone with something they don't expect, they don't have a preloaded response ready. So, so I came with my preloaded responses, kind of guessing where the interview was going to go. And then it went a totally different direction. And he's asking me about my life and what makes me me. and I don't really have, that wasn't in my, you know, that wasn't in my flashcards I was using to study for the interview. I wasn't ready for that. And so I had no choice but to just sort of answer. And I answered authentically. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm talking about the things that really, really shape who I am at a deep level. And he did. He told us all the things that were pivotal to making him into who he is today. So this week, we are going to continue that conversation as Jason, in turn, asked me some questions. I hope you enjoy. Well, let me ask you a question, if, if that's allowed. I, how I find myself, and you know, I, I feel like you and I are in the same tribe, and so I wonder if you relate, but I find myself to be an optimist and also... Um, a salesperson, not, not in the, in the slimy way, but like, I, I really believe in my business. And so I kind of think that anyone would be great on my team because my team's great, you know, right. and, and I'm an optimist and I see the glass half full and, and um, I, I like to vision things out. And so I take someone, I envision the best version of themselves. And then, and then I plug the best version of themselves into the best version of my company. And, and it almost always fits. Like, how do you reconcile sort of being an optimist and a confident person with like being stone cold and rational in these interviews and, and passing on someone like I, I, 
one of the most embarrassing things about me as a leader is that like, when it comes time to like fire somebody or not hire somebody, I'll, I'll try to call one of my managers and be like, Hey, what's your wife's favorite restaurant? Can you just fire this guy for me? Like I'll just, you and your wife go out to dinner. Just don't, don't make me do it. I'm going to go on a mountain bike ride and pretend like I don't own this company for a couple hours. Will you just call me when it's over? I'm just going to go, you know, plug my ears and close my eyes and hide in the corner. I, I do not like, I do not like what I perceive to be disappointing people. And I don't like looking at people and going, Hey, you're not good enough. Cause like I'm an op, I, I believe in people and I want to, I want to see the best in people. And I can see the best in people. And my, my optimism and self-belief has gotten me in so much trouble over the years. And yet I'm still inclined to hire people, promote people, Peter principal people through my optimism until it blows up. And even though I know that it blows up a bunch, I still can't help but but give people a chance and say, well, there's a chance they could be great. And man, I don't want to miss out on that chance. Like, how do you fight the urge to just see the best in everyone, justify it to yourself, talk yourself into it and bring someone on? Oh, I, I can't tell you how much I resonated with this question because I'm the same way, right? Like, I see myself back at the very beginning of my career and with no experience, no nothing, just this hunger, this desire, this vision, this whatever. And so I look at myself and my career and I try to like put that on everybody else, right? Like, oh, they're right. great and they could grow into this position. Like all they need is oh, a little you bit of see mentorship. Oh, you 24-year-old Rachel and everybody you interview, you're like, here's this person <laughs> and she just needs someone to believe in her, right. you know, just like I need someone to believe in me and I'm going to. I'm going to be the hero in this person's life. You know, I'm going to give this person the chance that I wish I always got. Right. You're like, you can just grow all this, these leaders. And yeah, that was a hard lesson to learn. People are responsible for their own growth. And yes, you can provide opportunity, but whether or not somebody intrinsically has that in them is a totally different scenario. So what I think has been very effective, and I talked about it in last week's episode, was uh, a really defined position profile to have something very specific about what position you're hiring for, what are the KPIs that are going to measure that, and what characteristics this person needs to have in order to achieve that. And then very specifically hiring directly towards that rather than going, oh, I really like this person. And if you just find great people, then you can train them into whatever. And that may be true, but I, I do think there has to be a core value alignment. So that is true. But I've ha- I've found more disappointments that way than successes. And so if you're really, you know, at some point in your, your business, it it's going to be very critical to just make sure you have the right fit. And you can't I, be like rolling the dice on that. Well, I hear a little like uh, Alice in Wonderland in that in that story you're telling her and the way you're setting that up is that like, if you don't know where you want to go, it doesn't matter which direction you take. And so I, I think I would probably be better served if I, instead of was looking for an emotional fit in my interviews, like, does this person align with our culture? And would I, you know, does this person pass the grab a beer test? Like I need to say, I need to come into the interview. I'm just sort of thinking out loud for my own benefit here that, that I need a more clear set of criteria for what this person is trying to match. And then I can try to fit the candidate to the criteria, not 
size of the candidate and decide whether I think they're a good person or a bad person. I mean, of course, it'd be hard for me to not give someone a job if I am measuring it as, oh, good person versus bad person. It's like, no, I'm just measuring someone for a fit to this very narrow, specific set of expectations. I think that would give me a better framework to to not hire someone instead of when I interview people for personal attributes, well, then I reject them for personal attributes. I need to interview people for for a role and for um, an ability to to meet key performance indicators, and I'm I'm not doing that, and I'm sort of discovering for myself through this conversation that that's probably where a lot of the emotion is coming in, and where I get the waters muddied and and make poor choices. Yeah, and and I think you have to have both, right? It has to be that core value fit. So so we always check those boxes in that process as well, and it has to be a role fit and a KPI like that they're going to actually be able to hit these performance metrics. And I think that's easier as you're a bigger company. When you're smaller, it's more difficult because there can be so many hats that somebody wears, right? It's not so defined what their role will actually be. But, you know, when I first started, I was doing the bookkeeping. I was like office management, putting processes into play. I was doing hiring. I was, I was like doing all of these roles. So that's a lot harder to go, okay, this is like, these are the KPIs. And, and you can break each one of those hats out to have KPIs, but it's, I think it's much harder to find somebody that's going to be able to be great at checking all of those boxes. It's tricky. Yeah. So this may be more advice for a bigger company. When you're bigger and you have a defined role that you're trying to fill, make sure you're not getting clouded by some of that other stuff. Okay. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. My name is Kevin Hussey. My company is United Fire and Water Damage. We're out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I've been in business since 1999. Prior to coming on board with Accelerate, we were using a platform, uh, an application that was not specific to restoration, didn't have uh, many of the, the tools that we need that are specific to the industry. And we were at a point in our company where we needed a tool that was a little more robust. That was Kevin Hussey with United Fire and Water, based out of Louisiana. You may be working through similar operational challenges with your own restoration business. Maybe a lack of documentation in the field, the inability to track time for crews, overly complicated job management systems, or something entirely different. You can overcome any business challenges that you face. You can grow a profitable restoration business And you can do all of that with Accelerate Restoration Software. So we made the move over to Accelerate and and we really have seen some benefit from having those specific things within Accelerate like KPIs, like uh, time tracking for estimate submission and our guys checking in at a a job site so we know the cost of of our labor per job. Accelerate just really has a lot more in the way of, of tools that are specific to our industry. And I, I think overall, the, the the reception to the technology in the field has been great by, by our staff. Accelerate is helping restorers like Kevin and United Fire and Water to restore their power to succeed through a more intuitive user experience, through innovative restoration technology specifically designed for our industry, and through results that just speak for themselves. 
you've got technicians in the field that are performing water damage restoration services. And, and that picture has to be painted to the estimator, has to be painted for our administrative people who submit the billing, who ultimately have to demonstrate to the carrier, this is what we did for this project. We have to be able to, to show them specifically what we did and justify what we did in order to be able to, to get paid. And that's what Accelerate really done a great job for us with, is, is painting that picture for the carrier so that we can we can justify what we've done and get paid as a company. Restore your power to succeed in restoration with Accelerate Restoration Software. Click the link in the show notes to request a demo today. So I have one more question for you. So I walked out of our interview and I think think Russ followed me out to my car. And if you've ever read Brene Brown, she talks about vulnerability hangover that sometimes you're you're really vulnerable to someone and afterwards like, what was, why did I tell them, you know, about my childhood? And so I get to the car with Russ and I, I think he said, Hey, we'll, I'll circle back with the team and I'll reach out to you. But, and I'm like, Russ, let's be real, bro. Like, I don't, I don't think I got the job, man. I, I, I don't like, I think we can, I think we can, can remove the suspense. Like, you know, I, I, I don't think it's the right fit. Um, but let's say that I walk to my car and Russ says, I'll get back to you Friday. And I go, oh yeah, man, I can't wait. I'm really excited to hear back from you guys. Like if I just missed it, or if I just thought I was, if I was really excited and I was like, yeah, man, I killed it. That was great. We're going to be perfect together. How were, how would you have fired? How would you have let, how would you have broken my heart, Rachel? How would you role play with me? What if I'd come back and said, yeah, I think this is awesome. And you and Howard and Russ had talked and decided it wasn't awesome. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to, how does that end? I mean, luckily I just sort of walked away and never came back. Cause it was clear that it was clear that I, not that I didn't get the job. I'm being, you know, I'm sort of making, poking fun at myself, but, but really what it was, I walked away like with more enthusiasm for my business than I had had in a long time, because only when presented with a really appealing alternative, was I able to really realize how much I love being in charge. And so I, I, I left with like, Man, you could offer me the world, Rachel. I'm not. I'm not leaving this thing I got going on because through the line of questioning, I I really uncovered that that I was excited about where I was. But if I had missed it and I wanted the job and you didn't want to give it to me, how how was that going to end? Well, I, I mean, I think from my perspective, where where we left that was a little bit different. I mean, I could see that you were passionate about all of those kind of things, and I could see, well, okay, we probably need to have some some uh, conversations about what autonomy means to him. And Mm. like at Titan, we were pretty autonomous. Like if you were a division manager, if you were whatever, you pretty much got to run that part of the business, right? Like you were responsible for the PNL for that business, but you kind of got to determine your hiring, your firing, how you wanted to structure things. If you wanted to come back and do something radically different, all you needed to do was present it to the team. We needed to talk about how it was going to affect maybe some of the other divisions of the organizations, but given them a lot of autonomy. So it wasn't necessarily that. Like I could see a place, I was like, okay, well, he likes making his own decisions. He likes being in charge of this. Like, would he be comfortable just in this fear? Or is there too much overlap into production or some of the other things that he would want to be making calls on, right? Right. Sounds like you just kept refining the role. So I was like, okay, 
Right. So I, I, I felt like we could come back and, and ask some questions around that and, and get to a place I thought where, where we could be mutually compatible, where, where I thought we had disconnect was, I think, um, just on, on the price tag, right? Like we were going to be buying you out of, so paying for your book of business and everything like that. And then you have these giant salary expectations and I'm like, how are we ever going to support this going <laughs> forward? I mean, he's going to have to be hitting massive sales right. goal year What's after so hard year. About that? I'll just bring in lots of work. Jeez and, Louise. Do I think anybody could do it? Yes. <laughs> So <laughs> I got the impression that you were kind of like, eh, about it going out of there. So, I mean, I think where we left it was like, Hey Russ, are you going to take Jason out in the boat and have a conversation about this or whatever? He's like, yeah, I'll do that. And I don't know if there was ever actual a formal conversation or if you, you were just kind of left. That feels like a real like mafia reference. Take me out on the boat. Is that like, if I don't have the right answer, all of a sudden I'm like, I got a, I got an anchor tied to my foot and I, I'm never seen from again. That's so funny. Now I know how you guys have such top talent at Titan. It's like you take them out of the boat and then say, hey, listen, swim back. <laughs> <laughs> I have been on Russ's boat. It's very nice. That's funny. And the lake, the lake he took me to was small enough that he did throw me in. I I could I could have made it to shore. I would have survived. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, no, yeah. So I, and I don't know if he ever actually did that or whatever, circle back. back. I mean, I think, um, so the question was, if if it hadn't been a good fit, I think what we would have done is called you up and said, hey, you know, can we get together? Can we sit down? Um, I think it's always respectful at that when you do such a thorough top grading interview that you're getting back to them and and telling them the reasons why. Right, because it is an investment. It's a time investment. So, you know, it's 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 probably not something you want to just uh, shoot them a quick email and say, we've gone another direction because like at that point we had, you know, I, I told you things I'd only told my therapist, you know what I mean? So it's like, you better, you better circle back with me and we better have some sort of, you know, tying up of loose ends. Cause it is a, it is a much more thorough and in-depth interview process than, than other ones I've been a part of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for sure. And I think, like the fact that we had such a strong relationship, even going into it and then coming out of it, like, you know, we wanted to make sure that that, that was a really great thing. And I mean, I think getting to this point, you know, like with you again, was, was an evolution of us as leaders to, because we had almost gone through a merge before we had almost got, and it was not a good fit. And so having done this, like one time prior that that was something that we really wanted to make sure that this was going to be a long-term really great play. Right. And who knows, maybe it will be someday you'll, you'll buy Titan. You know what? That was, that was how the joke started. I, I went from telling Russ, you can't just hire me, bro. You have to buy my business. Like, come on, you're hurting my feelings. And then, you know, in the, in the spirit of little brother, big brother, I, he called me one day and said, Hey, you know, maybe I want to buy you. And I said, well, maybe I want to buy you. Like, <laughs> and so, uh, and so that's, yeah, that's, that would, that became my thing. It was like, I, you know, I would, I, once we got to the credit check or the, uh, once we started talking numbers, I'd quickly get found out as not having enough to be able to afford Titan, probably not even the down payment, <laughs> but you know, it felt good to be like, well, maybe I'll buy you Russ. You know, it was felt nice. And I think he would be like, Hey, here's, here's the keys. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> they had sticker shock at my salary. I'm sure I would have had sticker shock at the purchase price of Titan. But you know, I'm, I'm saving slowly but surely. 
That's awesome. A couple more good years in the stock market. Maybe I'll have a chance. So let me ask you one more question and we'll kind of wrap this up. But was there anything that you took away from that that you went and then applied at Slate? Was was that whole experience for you? I mean, I think you already said you felt really uh, grateful just because you got clarity around where you wanted to be. But did it help you? Did it change the way that you interviewed going forward? Yeah, that's probably one of the ways it served me most. And and some of it I've covered, but but I don't know if this is sort of in the doctrine of top gradings. I haven't studied it. I didn't want to I didn't want to sort of look up your guys' process and then feed you answers that you want to hear. But my my experience of it was that I need to begin with the end in mind when I interview people. I need to know what I'm interviewing them for. That's the first thing is like, I've got to know with more clarity what I want from someone um, and what role and what are the key performance indicators and what is our culture and what are we looking for? And then once I understand that, that's half the battle. And then, and then the second half of the battle for me is I, I thought the genius of the way that I was interviewed was that if let's say beginning with the end in mind, you guys were looking for a leader who could assimilate into Titan's culture, have some autonomy, but also be collaborative. I'm not saying that's what you wanted, but let's just say if you guys sat down and said, okay, that's what we want. Okay. There's the first half. Now the second half is how do we uncover whether this person has those traits or not? And what I would do in an interview in the past is to say, Hey, do you think you could be collaborative? And it's like, <laughs> hello, like I'm, I'm just feeding them the answer. And part of me wants to feed them the answer because I don't like tension or I don't like awkward silence. I don't like pinning people and leaving them scrambling. So I feed them the answer. I found I feed, I feed people the answer in the way I ask the question. And so the second half to me is once I know what I'm looking for, how do I frame a question that would reveal that person's character, not asking them to say yes or no. Do you have integrity? It's like, give me a break. Like I, even if you know what you're looking for, if you ask the wrong way, you're just going to get platitudes. And there was just something really genius in the way that the questions were presented to me, that it wasn't obvious that you were mining me for character traits. You were asking me about my life. And as, as I talk through my life, my character traits are revealed. And so that was the genius of like, can I one know what I'm even looking for? And then once I know what I'm looking for, can I frame the question in a way that invites someone to be authentic, especially someone who really freaking wants this job, man, and will tell you anything you want to hear. And, and I got so many people on my team over the years that have told me what I want to hear. And then slowly but surely, there's this disconnect between what they said they would do and what they're actually doing. And I didn't set the right expectations. I didn't set the right metrics. And, and I fed them all the answers to the test. So they repeated them back to me and it got them the job. And, and now they're slowly being found out. And what I found is like, I claim to be a person who cares about people. But man, if I really wanted to serve this person, I would have grilled them in the interview process so I don't leave them in a position that they're not qualified to excel in for six months while I quietly and passive aggressively resent them until one day they get fired. Like that, that didn't serve anybody and I keep doing it. And so it, it kind of gave me the, going through the process kind of gave me the courage to remember that if I actually care about someone, which is one of our core values, by the way, is to actually care. If I actually care, then I am going to let them squirm and, and scramble and, and, and give me 
whatever answers they can come up with. And I'm not going to feed them the answer. And I am going to be pointed. And I am going to have a high bar. And I am going to reject candidates that aren't perfect fits because if it's not a perfect fit for me, it's not a perfect fit for them. And it's just not, it's just not fair. I have to remind myself that's not, nobody wins when you hire the wrong person. You know, I got people that have little short stints on their resume. The person that you hired that you had to let go of after three months, they got a three month, they got a three month job on their resume. That's bad. Like that, I'm trying to beat you up, but that didn't serve that person and it didn't right. serve you. What a mess. So right. I, I, I almost like, I, I got a, like a list of things that I could look myself in the mirror before an interview and remind myself of that, that actually caring is really vetting someone to let them be the best fit. And a little bit of discomfort and disappointment in an interview for a job that they don't get is better than three months or six months of, of a square peg in a round hole. For sure. And I think all of those things are like powerful lessons that you've learned over your course of, of leadership. And then, you know, through this interview and then experience, right? There's so many things that I've just learned through experience. You know, one last thought is that uh, Colin Cowherd, who's like a sports broadcaster, says when people tell you who they are, believe them. And I have such a nasty habit of not believing people when they tell me who they are or not asking the right question to find out who they are because I'm just either I got this, you know, technician sized hole in my organization or this estimator or general manager sized hole. And I get this scarcity mindset and I don't want this person to be a good fit. I need this person to be a good fit because I got a freaking job and we got estimates stacking up and I need a freaking estimator. Right. And, and when I let that, that scarcity mindset or that fear or that urgency creep in, in an unhealthy way, I'm not listening to people when they tell me who they are. I don't want to hear who they are. I don't want to hear that they that they're, that they're not particularly motivated. I, I want to hear that they're motivated and they're excited. And, and then I want to tell myself that I'm such a great leader that I'll inspire them. And of course they failed their last four companies, but that's probably because the last owner was, you know, a loser and I'm special. I'll, I'll, I'll be the secret <laughs> sauce. You know, I know she's been divorced four times, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure she won't cheat on me. It's like, sometimes people tell you who they are and, and I just have to remember to listen. And if I ask the right questions, then people will tell me who they are. And then it's just up to me to to believe them when they tell me. Yeah. I have somebody that I really respect who said like, I go into an interview and I'm looking only for red flags. I'm not looking to check the boxes. I'm looking for all of the reasons why I should say no. And then if I can get to the end of the interview and can't find any reason to say no, that's when I make the hire. And I'm like, wow, what a powerful paradigm shift that would, that would serve me as an eternal optimist. And as someone who's I like to say I'm an eternal optimist. I'm also just a wuss who doesn't want to reject anyone. I'm also just like bad at that. Like flipping the paradigm to to looking for problems would be a useful exercise for me to to just have a different awareness and a different mindset. That's that's really powerful. Yeah, and I think that comes from again having have having done interviews so much or finding people that just didn't fit. He came from a very large organization and they were always trying to find water technicians and stuff. And, and after he got through so many of them, he's like, I need to be doing this differently. And he totally changed the way that he interviewed. Um, lots of tools. This is such a fun conversation. It's always so great to interact with you. So I really appreciate you coming on today. It was my pleasure. I feel like I, I didn't swear. I didn't give up any personal names. I don't think I'm going to get any phone call. Maybe my mom would call me. And say that I heard her feelings about the, about coming to dinner, but I think by my standards, I think I, I I think I survived relatively unscathed. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you. I'm like it's so fun to see everything that you're doing in your business and how you're taking on the world and making it like 
better. You know, I think this industry, that was something that has always been interesting to me. And something that I talked about last week is I'm a big believer in collaboration and like building your network, right? Having a network of really awesome restorers that you're relying on. And people sometimes get a little bit um, angsty about that, especially if it's competitors in the same market, you know, it's like, how, how do you collaborate with somebody that you're competing with? And anyway, it's just been, it's been awesome. I, I believe that, you know, if you raise the bar of those you're collaborating with and that you're competing against, um, you raise the industry. And I think the industry needs that elevation. So it's been awesome to associate with you over the years. Well, thank you. I'm so grateful that you and Russ never had a a scarcity mindset uh, around around our relationship. There's been so much great stuff that's happened from my relationship with you and with Russ that I'm so grateful that you didn't just see me as a competitor and say bad things behind my back and never talk to me. You guys were always gracious and kind and you've served me. And um, I think it says a lot about who you guys are. And, and I, I think if, to your point, to anybody who might be listening, I have had more growth in my company and more positive things happen by befriending those that seem like they should be out to, that should be rooting for my failure. My competitors, I've, I've gained so much from that. And I, I think as an industry, we'd be, we'd be better if we sought out the the best people in industry and, and built relationships and, and didn't get so caught up in, in the competition that, that doesn't really need to exist as, as dramatically as we try to make it. Yeah. I mean, this industry is huge, right? There's so much business to go around and especially for, for great people, right? Like, so there's plenty of bad companies and, and, you know, I think if, if you align with great people who are doing great things, if, if they're getting more business, the better, you know? So great. I mean, I I can have a really nice living with, I'd be shocked if I had 1% market share in Maricopa County and yet I have a great life. So there's, there's room for us. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jason. Well, thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I had so much fun. I hope you did as well. I hope that you got some takeaways that you can implement in your business today that will improve your interviewing and hiring process. I'm going to make sure that I add some things in the show notes. So if you want to connect with Howard Shore and his company, Activate Group, I will put that link in the show notes as well as the book, Who?, it was a game changer for me. So make sure you read that book. And I will also link Jason Jarvis's company, Slate Restoration, if you want to go check him out and the great things he's doing. We'll see you next week as we restore your power to succeed.